And this paper detailed how the CIA's mind control program, MKUltra, was not stopped in 1973. What's up, guys? It's Jose. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find us on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major auto pocketers, and Rumble as well. Uh, I don't know if this episode will last on YouTube, judging by that intro. Uh, so definitely make sure to check out the Rumble. Uh, today, my guest, Austin Picard, we're continuing our series on the Jonestown incident. I do want to remind you guys how this works because of how I've done a lot of live streams because I've been following the uh, all the breaking stuff with the like seven six four oh nine a stuff. Uh, due to that, I've uh, you know I did a bunch of live streams threw off my whole paywall situation because I was doing those immediately. So like basically right now uh, tomorrow the first one goes up. So if you were a patron, you would already have access to three of these episodes of the series before it even came out. So that's pretty neat. So just letting you guys know that's an option. But how this usually works, I will put that stuff out. I'll do a live stream for my patrons roughly about a week or so, give or take, uh, as you can see here. Uh, and if you're a patron, you get that uh, you get that early stuff. Uh, and that's patreon.com. So no way, Jose2020, if, if you want to support. The lowest level is 2 bucks. That gets you the early stuff, so just all the basics. I mean, there's differing levels and differing perks. Like, for example, my $5 level right now, I have a sponsor giving away free coffee for anybody who's a $5 or higher, not anyone, it's a giveaway, sorry, need to clear that up, it's kind of like a random giveaway to somebody, and there's not a ton of you, so you got a pretty good chance, so if you're $5 above, pretty good, pretty good shot, you might get some coffee this month, uh, and hopefully he'll stick around, uh, so, um, and that's uh, actually foxandsons.com, use Jose at checkout if you want to make sure that he keeps sticking around so you can keep getting that coffee perk, uh, highest level, I read those guys off every episode, I have Toad, who's my co-host on Tower Gang, at Tower Gang Toad, also have at Abrogate D's, then Kevin B. Clark, a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in the New York area. I have at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K, and I also have at underscore Infinite Zeal. Then Jacob Daniel of the Biblical Anarchy podcast was on his show not too long ago, at Biblical Anarchy. Then I have Tim Tuttle, at Jalen Klebold. He's the one who actually made that intro. That shit slapped. I loved it. I knew I might get it nuked off YouTube, but I did it anyways. Just because I really dug that one. And I also have at StinkySock420. He's a singer of the band Bender. Uh, it's a metalcore band. Definitely go check them out. I do want to give a big thank you to you guys uh, for supporting me. Uh, you guys make it so I'm able to do stuff like, uh, for example, I still am scheduled. I know I kind of, uh, I guess, jumped the gun a little bit. And although I had plane tickets and stuff, I was supposed to go tomorrow, which would be the 16th for people who aren't... Uh, aren't paywalled individuals. I was supposed to go on the culture war, but there's some logistical issues uh, and it's currently in work being rescheduled. So, but because of you guys like you, I'm able to, you know, when I lose a day or two for something like that, uh, you know, and I don't, I'd not obviously not make an income on those days. Uh, that, that helps me out a lot. So I appreciate you guys. You guys are enabled me to do stuff, cool stuff like that, like share Yiki story in front of a huge audience, which would be Tim Pool's audience. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I couldn't remember if I said the show, uh, but you guys know if you follow along, but anyways, let's get, uh, and that's patreon.com to no way Jose 20, but let's get Austin in here. Let's get in the story. We're on part three of our, uh, our, God, I have a brain fart, Jonestown series. What's up, bud? How you doing? 
Good, man. How are you doing, brother? Good, good. good. What'd you think of that intro? That's just slapped, right? I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it, man. That is, Tim did that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. Yeah, Tim, yeah. I call him Tim Tuttle, yeah. Tim Tuttle. Okay, I'm not sure what to call him, but yeah. anyway, I've been yeah. uh, DMing back and forth with him. It's been hilarious, but I do yeah. love those edits so much, bro. They're they're badass. Yeah. Now, there's been a lot of weird revelations in the past few weeks, but it's just... Seems like worlds collide. I mean, we're covering this series, and it seems everything interconnects. We mentioned last episode that uh, uh, Maya of the Seven Six Four was buddies with the Queen O, and I don't even remember how we got on that thread. And then I mean, I think <laughs> Tim Tuttle was sending him stuff that I don't know if it connected to Queen O with Jim Jones, or I don't know. They're just everything connects, and it'll uh, it'll drive you drive you schizophrenic if you if you if you let it get to you. No doubt. And yeah. by the way, on that note, looking into uh, some of that. James Holmes stuff that we mentioned last week, at least in part two. Um, <clears throat> I like, I came on, I found this guy's book, right? And I didn't know about this guy named Robert Duncan, who's like a Harvard graduate investigator and author of this book called Project Soul Catcher Secrets of Cyber and Cybernetics Revealed, is, is what it's what it's called, the title of the book. And in 2012, this guy gave an interview. And he, he says that over the past 10 years, he had personally interviewed more than 650 people who claimed to have been under government mind control. Many of them said they were in the Manchurian candidate ID program free. He went, he went to the Senate Intelligence Committee and met with 26 senators as well as the head of the L.A. Uh, FBI. And uh, after working with a consortium of scientists on a research project for over eight years, he, he provided what he claimed was his closest estimate that he could reach, right? And he says that there are about 10,000 Manchurian candidates in the works being programmed by the CIA right now that can be used at any time around the world. However, he concluded by explaining that only a small percentage actually become successful Manchurians. So what he was said in this interview, though, when I was listening to it, and it was it was blowing my mind. I'll, I'll be honest. I was taking some of what he was saying very serious. But um, he said that this basically allows the CIA to subvert certain international laws forbidding the agency to engage in the assassination of foreign leaders through the strategy of indirection or utilizing agency handlers to indoctrinate individuals into these Manchurian candidate programs, uh, self-righteously asserting plausible deniability after the fact. And according to this Dr. Robert Duncan, a lot of these alleged mass shooters, such as James Holmes, fall into this Manchurian candidate category as well. And I was getting flashes of like, Stephen Paddock, man, like, <laughs> you know, like explaining to that call girl that that his brain could he was like a government program and, and his brain could be hacked into and taken over. And and uh, and I just thought this was all like I got to read this book. I've been reading a little bit of it so far and it's it's insane, brother. But um, he, what the fuck were they doing in Guyana? <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean, bro. That's what I mean. So just really quick to finish this, uh, because it's just absurd to me, man. Like it was blowing my mind and I felt like it did have like a relationship to the people's temple because it's like, I mean, this is in my opinion, of course, like I, 
I do basically conclude that Jonestown was an MK Ultra operation, uh, at least a prod, a, a part of the project. And um, and so but I did find it very interesting what this this Dr. Robert Duncan was saying about these alleged mass shooters as well. And um, and this Manchurian candidate program, as far as like being a modern day Manchurian candidate program, which, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but so he, he was saying like through a combination of drugs, manipulative psychological techniques and advanced cybernetics, they have achieved many of the goals of the CIA's top secret program in human behavioral modification or Project MKUltra. <laughs> and he explains that the modern day technology does not require brain implants, although they do work very well, apparently. But they seem to rely much more on post-hypnotic suggestion, right? And one of their goals was to create split, split personality spies so they could pass information without even knowing it. And even commit murder with no memory of the crime so they could still pass a polygraph test. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so and among the various techniques used throughout that process is something called the voice of God technology, which I have mm -hmm. read about multiple times. And and they admit and acknowledge this technology exists. And and even while uh, they are sleeping, by the way, these subjects are kept in dissociative states and can allegedly be programmed with subliminals during their sleep. Mm -hmm. And often these targets can be manipulated through the use of microwave hearing effects or voice mm -hmm. transformation, such as using the voice of a dead relative to implant ideas in the subject's mind. Neuroscience this <laughs> has become the modern battleground where war wages on over the control of the human mind, cybernetic warfare. Yeah, there's all these guys with voices in their heads that go on shootings. Yeah, uh, and and uh, yeah, I mean, there's I already immediately a uh, couple names came to mind. Lanza, I think we've oh, talked yeah. about this before. He was complaining about uh, I forget the specific source on this, but he was complaining about like a loud like frequency or something that he kept yep. hearing, and it was like you know driving him in, like nuts. Yeah, uh, and uh, <laughs> which I mean, don't get me wrong, he had his plethora of other issues going on, but still. You know, what does it take to push a man over the edge? I mean, then also McVeigh, one, one key point with him is that's frequently brought up, brought up is, uh, once again, I don't remember the specific sources, just kind of talking offhand, but he uh, he definitely made, I believe he made claims that he had chips in him and stuff like oh, yeah. that. Also, people bring up frequently how many times he was on, logged as going to the dentist. It's a lot of you will theorize, because I guess that's actually was a really common way, uh, was they would put things in dental work. Uh, I guess for wow. some reason, something about... Uh, you know, putting whatever technical thing you need to do in a tooth is probably is mm -hmm. preferable to other areas. Uh, right. So yeah, a lot of lot of weird stuff. Uh, this stuff comes up frequently. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, and that's what talking with Tim Tuttle on on Twitter. I was just like, and he hit me up with something about James Holmes and Adam Lanza's both. And I knew James Holmes' dad was caught up in the LIBOR scandal, but I had no idea that Adam Lanza's dad was also caught up in that same scandal. That's just, that, that's no coincidence to me. <laughs> that fits perfectly in my schizo brain right now. It's all coincidences, <laughs> <You know>? man. <laughs> right. All coincidences. Don't, patterns mean nothing. Right. Uh, oh. But Jesus with that, let's Christ. get into, I think, where we left off in our story. Uh, we're at Leo Ryan. Uh, if there is mm -hmm. any, some semblance of a hero of the story, this would be the guy. 
and I believe Agreed. this is probably the best starting point for us. And uh, I think we'll probably have another episode in this. Uh, so you guys will begin a four-parter out of this. Uh, but yeah, uh, t- let's wherever you want to start there. Cool. So I mean, Congressman Leo Ryan was—he was clearly a thorn in the side of the CIA during this time. Like he was investigating MK Ultra, investigating all the facilities that he—he he, uh, at least uh, during his investigation and research. Uh, had basically linked to the project and was then following up with authorities and trying to get them to on the record deny or on the record at the very least like grant a response right and so in multiple on multiple multiple occasions uh congressman leo ryan forced the cia to disclose that at the very least it was classified and they refused to answer his question so which typically suggests that uh perhaps it was a part of the <laughs> you know the operation but anyway uh so congressman leo ryan member of the democratic party and served as u.s representative from california's 11th congressional district from 73 until 78 when he was assassinated during the jonestown massacre <laughs> spoiler alert man but the first and only U.S. congressman killed in the line of duty, by the way. Mm-hmm. And he was known at the time for his vocal criticism of the lack of congressional oversight of the CIA. And this is when he co-authored the Hughes-Ryan Amendment, which was passed in 74, which requires the president to report covert CIA activity to Congress, which would have rendered the CIA unable to uh, you know, uh, engage in covert black operations because basically they would have been forced to seek the approval of eight different committees before going forward with any of their black budget covert operations so they were pissed there were a lot of the leadership in the agency that were pissed at congressman leo ryan that's that's a definite fact and um so the united states committee on foreign affairs in 79 there was an investigative report on jonestown right and in this report, it it basically describes the chain of events which led to Representative Leo J. Ryan's death in Guyana on November 18th, 1978. And they describe it as beginning a year earlier, almost exactly to the date, allegedly, that sparked this. And, and apparently it ignited his interest uh, as far as what ignited his interest was a San Francisco Examiner article that ran and was published on November 13th, 1977. And it involved an old friend and constituent, Mr. Sam Houston was the guy's name, of San Bruno, California. And (laughs) the story recounted the death of Sam Houston's son, Bob. And he apparently was crushed beneath the wheels of a train on October 5th, 1976, one day after he had announced his decision to leave the People's Temple. And Mr. Houston was, I guess he was speaking out because he was outraged by the way the temple had treated his son. And he, and by the way, he, he claimed uh, that accidental death, uh, he had lingering doubts. He was basically entirely denying the fact that it was an accidental death. And he was claiming that the People's Temple and members of Jim Jones Leadership Council were basically had him killed, right? Had his son killed. And he, had, he was... And there was even like a, a kind of like some 
you know, a little bit of evidence at the at the scene as well that seemed to uh, suggest that it was wasn't exactly like the guy just accidentally fell on the tracks or something. I mean, that's yeah. kind of an unusual death in the first place. But um, and it also came, you know, at the perfect time when he was he was trying to defect, which. Right. That's why his dad was so upset. But <clears throat> anyway, so. Besides this, it was this and it was this custody battle between the stone or the uh, Tim Stone and uh, and Tim Stone's wife. And uh, so other than that, um, he the, the father had begun to speak out and he then uh, became a part of the concerned relatives committee who then reached out to Congressman Leo Ryan. So. He was he was pretty outraged about his son's alleged accidental death. And he was also speaking out because his two this is the guy whose two granddaughters were sent to New York on a vacation and ended up at the People's Temple Agricultural Mission in Jonestown, Guyana, never to return. And Sam Houston was also described as speaking out because he didn't have much time left. Because the guy had gotten cancer, I believe. Yeah, and choked. So his voice box was going to be removed within a few days at this point when he really started to become extremely vocal. And uh, so uh, uh, I guess he didn't, he, he looked at it like he didn't have much left, I guess. But finally, Sam Houston said he was speaking out because he was tired of being scared, was the quote. And Representative Ryan read this story. All right. Th that was published. And and uh, and soon thereafter, he took the initiative to contact the Houstons, I guess, and visited their home. So apparently Tim Stone had already reached out to Congressman Leo Ryan, but so had the uh, the like attorneys for the People's Temple. And uh, and Jim and these attorneys were sending all this these uh, uh, documents and sending all these letters to Congressman Leo Ryan, and they were trying to discredit these concerned relatives, right? And uh, were saying all these terrible, you know, things like damaging the reputation in hope, like in hopes that Congressman Leo Ryan would just dismiss these people on their face and, and not take any uh, anything they were saying seriously, but they weren't. As far as I know, uh, Jim and the People's Temple, they weren't under the impression that that Sam Houston personally knew Congressman Leo Ryan and uh, is basically what what definitely got him involved was the fact that he was personal friends with Sam Houston, who was a constituent mm -hmm. and, and of Congressman Leo Ryan. And so it made it even more kind of uh, pressing for him to follow up. And so. Plus, it seemed like it was a part of his nature a little bit, yeah. right? Like, I mean, he was probing very deep. Yeah, uh, I mean, I know yeah. if I got in, if I had two people contacting me, or and one one was a lawyer, and they're sending, you know, clearly trying to smear an individual. I mm -hmm. mean, I know a lot of people that might scare them off, but I mean, especially if I was some big politician. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess it depends on the politician and who you owe your allegiances to. But yeah, you know, in my, if I was, yes, I would be like something's fucky here. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but anyway, for sure, dude. So over the next like six to eight months, there are like several other developments taking place, which increased his interest in the activities of the People's Temple. And one was another San Francisco newspaper story recounting the defection from People's Temple of Debbie Blakey. 
including excerpts from her sworn affidavit of June 15, 1978, noting mass suicide rehearsals at Jonestown, which are the White Knights. And further impetus came in letters he received from concerned relatives of People's Temple members, some of whom were constituents, like I said, asking his assistance and alleging, among other things, social security irregularities, which apparently in Ukiah, um, I forget the jurisdiction that it, it covered, but he had apparently just somehow uh, politically taken over the the uh, the um, welfare offices and, and uh, Social Security offices. And so he was basically in in charge of that in that jurisdiction, which I thought was so crazy. And, and I just now kind of recently found that. There's a lot of credibility there as to how how much he had like spies from the People's Temple that were infil- had infiltrated these these uh, jurisdictional groups which which uh, were in control of those policies. So it's it's like kind of nuts how how deep those those ties went in that area and how much he did have political power, you know, to wield uh, before he ended up going down to Guyana or basically I think he left like a week before he was tipped off that those damaging articles were going to come out basically smearing, you know, uh, public perception of the people's temple and, and, uh, and, and changing the public perception into a, to a negative light. And, and so he basically just fled Ukiah at that point and went down to Guyana, but the, so it was about four years, right. Um, that they were down there because they had leased the land in 74. So that's when George Philip Blakey had actually, you know, procured the lease on that land in Guyana. And then uh, the deaths happened in 78. So it wasn't all that long at all as far as the People's Temple Agricultural Project is concerned. Mm -hmm. So anyway, uh, (laughs) so he subsequently met with these groups after he uh, he was like read this affidavit by Debbie Blakey, right? About these mass suicide rehearsals. Then he's getting all these tips and, and concerned relatives coming to him. And, um, and so besides the social security irregularities, there were human rights violations and that their loved ones were being held in Jonestown against their will. Right. And he subsequently met with a group of these concerned relatives in August, 1978. As his interest in People's Temple became more widely known, he also began receiving extensive mail and petitions favorable to People's Temple. Like I said, and they're all like trying to smear Tim Stone and trying to smear these concerned relatives and make them out to be these psychopathic, you know, uh, morally flawed individuals who you shouldn't even take seriously for a moment. And um, and so that that to me, you know, he he was trying he was at least trying to uh, save face a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah, Congressman Leo Ryan was not the type <laughs> to, no. yeah, to accept that narrative. But <laughs> so throughout that period, he directed his staff to begin compiling information on the people's temple. He also hired a young California attorney to interview former people's temple members and concerned relatives. And by the way, Mike Prokes, I think, is is the member of the People's Temple who had also been employed as a journalist at either the Inquirer or uh, the Examiner. I can't remember which San Francisco publication it was. It was one of the main publications 
that canceled this the uh, series of articles uh, that were sm that was smearing Jim Jones, and before the publication then sold it to a magazine who then ran the article who didn't have people who were uh, you know in alliance with Jim Jones, and so it was just and then beyond that, Mike Prokes who was uh, uh, there and and apparently like uh, uh, crucial in the canceling of the series of articles, he then joined the People's Temple leadership as their PR guy, <laughs> which I just thought was what what the hell is happening, man? You know. But anyway, so <laughs> I'm telling you, dude, this story just consistently blows my mind. Like that, you can just keep digging it's nuts yeah. man you keep pulling there's more threads you just keep finding things it's absolutely crazy man but mm -hmm. so after that his specific instruction was to look for possible violations of federal and california state laws right that was what he was focusing on to begin with the cumulative effort or effect of this effort undertaken by representative ryan led him to request a meeting on september 15th 1978 with verone p vacky vacky uh, who was the assistant secretary bureau of inter-american affairs u.s department of state and other state department officials what he had earlier considered merely the possibility of going to guyana appears to have become firm in his mind at that meeting and Octo on October 4th in 78, he formally requested the House Foreign Affairs Committee chairman's permission to go to Guyana. He explained his interest in part stemmed from his membership on this committee's subcommittee on international operations, as a result of which he had become increasingly aware of the problems related to protecting the lives and property of U.S. citizens abroad. And... Um, I guess he was repeatedly stonewalled by the State Department as well. And they they like assured him the CIA and the State Department were checking in on Jonestown and they had intelligence that said they were fine. Everybody's great. I believe they were <laughs> checking in. <laughs> it's just so crazy. right? Yeah, I know. I believe that part. Yeah. No, I don't believe they were all fine, but yeah, I just I mean, I guess it funny. depends on your your. Uh... How you, fine, how you right? define that. <laughs> no, the operation's going great. Don't worry about yeah. the project. Uh, everything's going, going like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So a key paragraph in his letter, all right, stated, it has come to my attention that a community of some 1,400 Americans are presently living in Guyana under somewhat bizarre conditions. There is conflicting information regarding whether or not the U.S. citizens are being held there against their will. If you agree, I would like to travel to Guyana during the week of November 12th through the 18th to review the situation firsthand. By 78, Congressman Ryan had been approached by members of the Concerned Relatives Group with claims of widespread abuse, human rights violations, and people being held against their will at the People's Temple Jonestown Settlement. According to his aides, at first, he was stonewalled by the State Department. According to the journalist and author Tim Reiterman, who also accompanied, uh, he accompanied uh, Representative Leo Ryan on his investigative trip to Jonestown on November 14th. And he describes the, the whole process of them going down there. He says, Ryan left Washington and arrived in Georgetown, the capital of Guyana, 150 miles from Jonestown. 
with his congressional delegation of government officials, media representatives, and some members of the concerned relatives. Next, upon arriving in Guyana, he had been given an escort who had been identified a decade earlier as a ranking CIA officer named Richard Dwyer. <laughs> but it, the story goes, when they first got there, they were like, they told him, no, you can't go. You can't go to Jonestown. You guys need to go back home. And they like stonewalled him in Guyana for like, I believe it was like two days or maybe even four. I can't remember now. It was like three or four days they were stonewalled in Georgetown. And they, they were telling them they needed to go back home to the U.S. And so he had to basically choose who he was going to take with him to Port Kayuma, which was this airstrip in the jungle, like out near the Jonestown settlement. And so he basically decided that all the people who were like all the family members who were like, you know, violently angry and like very upset and were clearly emotional. He wasn't going to take them, you know, just strategically. And then um, so it, it was kind of interesting, though, because it was clear that they were trying to keep them or they were at least stalling them for a re for some reason, you know. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was at least worth mentioning. But anyway, so Tim Reiterman explains that besides being given the CIA escort, um, citing the, the 1979 Congressional Foreign Affairs Committee investigative report on Leo Ryan's assassination. OK, so this is according to the investigative report by the Foreign Affairs Committee. Three days later, on November 17th, so it was three, three days they were stonewalled in Georgetown, Ryan's aide Jackie Spire, <clears throat> the United States Embassy Deputy Chief of Mission Richard Dwyer, Mr. CIA, a Guyanese Ministry of Information officer, nine journalists, and four concerned relatives, representatives of the delegation, boarded a small plane for the flight to Port Cayuma Airport, a few miles outside of Jonestown. So the story goes, they initially felt welcome until two temple members named Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby tried to slip a note to Congressman Leo Ryan. And before I read you this note, there's this video of of Leo Ryan getting to George or to Jonestown. And he's like, man, I've uh, he starts out. His, they're all meeting and he starts out his speech by I heard this is the greatest place on Earth. And they all just erupt dude screaming like you know like a little bit too excited and <laughs> certain yeah. that this is the greatest place on earth you know but it didn't seem exactly natural <laughs> i would say as far as the reaction was concerned mm -hmm. but uh i i did think that that was nuts you know because it really did seem like they were terrified to to let anyone know that yeah that they wanted out of there, you know, just keep clapping, just keep clapping. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not even playing, man. It's so crazy. It's so he was, he was slipped this note. All right. Like I said, by Vernon Gosney and Monica Bagby. And this note read, please help us get out of Jonestown. And it basically, it, the implication was that there were many more like them that were desperate to get out, but didn't want to make it known. And so this uh, <laughs> this is when Leo Ryan starts to reconsider everything that's that he's witnessing there. As By the way, I read this this insane article that was explaining and it was by like one of the survivors who was claiming like uh, uh, that were with the delegation at the time. 
I think it was Jackie Spire, who was the another one of Leo Ryan's aides, who actually crawled into the jungle after the Port, Port Kayuma airstrip attack and like witnessed witnessed what she claimed were basically mind-controlled assassins programmed to commit these killings. And and she claims that she witnessed them while she's lying in the jungle. Um, she witnessed them going back through the bodies and choosing which bodies to prioritize to give double taps. And Leo Ryan got like 20-something shots. You know, he, uh, yeah. Yeah. Far yeah. more than anyone else. But <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> it's just so ridiculous, man. But so this uh, Congressional Foreign Affairs Committee investigative report, it continues on. And uh, and um, <laughs> by the way, Ghazni reportedly tried and failed to impress upon Ryan the extreme danger that his delegation was now in after this note was then passed to their group. And after 3 p.m. the next day, and that was what I thought was crazy, they stayed, right? So, like, it, it's so crazy because I had read where they had basically, some of the people there were surprised that that Congressman Ryan ate the food there. Mm -hmm. And they were saying that potentially the food was drugged. And that, and I can't remember who it was, but it was a legitimate, credible source, and I I should have noted it down. But anyway, when I I was, uh, I just thought it was like that being a possibility is worth mentioning alone because if if Jonestown is what I think it is, <laughs> I would not at all be surprised if the delegation was drugged by the food and or or even just the water or anything that was there if they consumed it while while at Jonestown. You know, that would make a lot of sense to me. But, you know, I have no more real evidence, you know, yeah, to support didn't, didn't, that. Wasn't he, weren't they killed trying to leave, though? Isn't that, I mean, yeah, I'm yeah. Jumping so, ahead. Okay. Because, like, no, that, no, that is what happened. Yeah. Because I was like, and, a drug, being drugged is part of it. It would be like, I don't, other than maybe a weird night of like what happened. No, he came back. So they <laughs> yeah. left. They didn't yeah. stay at Jonestown that night, yeah. but they were there for a lot of the night. And then they left with the rest of the delegation to go back to this area in Port Kayuma. And then they were going to come back the next day. And and that's when Dwyer, or not Dwyer, but <laughs> that's when Leo Ryan and his, his delegation was slipped this note when they were on their way out that night. Mm -hmm. And he reads this note and he's like, oh, shit. And he's like, I'm OK, I'm going back tomorrow and I'm going to sit down with each of these individuals privately one by one and i'm gonna get their true feelings as to how you know they're and uh and so basically they left and the next day after 3 p.m this is when 14 temple defectors and larry layton posing as a defector all right boarded a truck with congressman leo ryan to be taken to the airstrip because Congressman Leo Ryan realized there's a lot of people that want to leave here. And he even arranged for a second plane because the planes were so small. It wasn't going to actually be able to, you know, take as many people as wanted to allegedly leave. So they filled the whole bus that was going down to the airstrip. And this is when, um, um, uh, what's his name? Um, Ujara, who was Don Sly, who was the hated member of the Red Brigade, which was allegedly a CIA informant in the Red Brigade earlier, 
who then left the Red Brigade, taking members of the Red Brigade to the People's Temple. And they mm-hmm. became members of uh, Jim Jones, you know, armed guards, right, at Jonestown. And um, that, so when they were about to get into the bus to go to the airstrip, Don Sly, the Red Brigade guy, he, uh, he like, what, what was described as half-heartedly uh, tried to stab Congressman Leo Ryan and like kind of barely cut him a little bit, but it looked like, like almost like a cartoonish version of, Mm. it didn't seem serious to me. Right. It seemed like almost like uh, a ploy for Jim to intervene. And, and, and because seemingly right after this happened, he basically gets Larry Layton to pose as a defector and get on the bus with them to Port Kiuma. And then as they're on their way to Port Kiuma, he orders members of the Red Brigade to to go down there on a tractor-drawn trailer. And and in my opinion, it seems like they were ordered to assassinate everyone at that airstrip, right? But mm-hmm. of course, he says in the death tape, death tape that somebody down there, he doesn't know who, he didn't tell him to do it. But they're going to kill Congressman Leo Ryan and shoot down everyone in that plane. Right. And uh, <laughs> so and that's when he's telling everyone in the death tape, like, I come to you as a prophet. Right. I come to you now as a prophet. And he's and he's telling them all this. And then as soon as you hear him get radioed in that Congressman Leo Ryan's dead, he just he feels this pressure to get this thing going. Right. He's like, let's get gone. You know, and it, it's kind of nuts. But. And that's when you hear him say, (laughs) get Dwyer out of here, get Dwyer down to the East House or something like that. And which didn't make sense because Dwyer was with the delegation that went to Port Kiuma unless he returned after the airstrip massacre, which is exactly what the implication is. Mm -hmm. And so it's yeah. And you hear uh, Jim say this multiple times, get Dwyer out of here. Get Dwyer out of here before something happens to him. Get him down to the East House. Like he says that specifically. And uh, I found that interesting for sure, especially since Dwyer's potentially at least the culprit that people like to theorize is who, you know, could have uh, killed Jim uh, Mm. is is kind of the claim. Um, But anyway, don't want to get too far ahead of myself, (laughs) but uh, (laughs) Real quick, so, I, I do want to uh-huh. take a moment to uh, to pay the bills. Uh, I do want to remind you guys, uh, covering crazy stuff here, but if you want crazy good coffee, go to Fox & Sons Coffee. Fans of No Way Jose here, you get 15% off if you use Jose. If orders of $30 or more, orders of $37.99, and over always ship free. This is in the continental U.S. only. Fox, www.foxandsons.com. Yeah, keep them coming back, guys. Go let them know. You're going to get coffee anyways. You might as well go to this guy. I mean, this guy's got, I'm telling you, I've been drinking his coffee. It's great shit. Uh, not just an advertiser. He's supporting guys like me and other shows, people like Lions of Liberty, all sorts of other shows. I've seen a, bu- a bunch of other shows, you know, helping out our kind, uh, spreading our message. Uh, he started this out with his, uh, cause you know, 
as a way to honor his times with his dad, uh, you know, love of coffee. And I uh, decided to pass on that entrepreneurial spirit his dad passed on to him to his kiddos. It's high quality stuff, like I said before. Comes from small family farms, organic, uh, fair trade, small batch roasted. You can definitely tell. I've been drinking that stuff black just because it's delicious. Uh, and yeah, guys, guys, get the coffee. Get the coffee. All right, back, back to it. What's up, man? <laughs> so <clears throat> after that... Uh... The 3 p.m. the next day when the 14 Temple defectors and Larry Layton, like I said, posing as a defector, boarded a truck and were taken to the airstrip with, I guess, Leo Ryan. He was wishing to stay another night to assist any others who wanted to leave. And this is when shortly thereafter, a knife attack on Ryan failed while he was arbitrating a family dispute on leaving. So... I don't know what exactly the plan was there as far as like why they wanted, why they like preferred Leo Ryan and the delegation to be away from the compound when the killings happened. Like I feel that part for me is, is one of the main questions I have. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know why they could, if the ultimate plan was the, you know, the mass, suicide right revolutionary suicide then why not just just kill congressman leo ryan there you know i mean like but anyway i digress yeah. i just i found that interesting and it, i still don't know the answer to that but so he was uh that's when ujara attacked him with the knife when he was trying to he was hoping to stay to continue to help people who wanted to leave and help solve family disputes and all this and Against Ryan's protests, Dwyer ordered him to leave. The CIA guy, which I just... Why is Dwyer playing such a prominent role in any of this in the first place? But yeah. Congressman Ryan promised to return later to address the familial disputes, right? And, and the group left. That's when they left Jonestown, arriving at the Port Cayuma airstrip by 4.45 p.m., where they had these two twin engine transport planes. And one of them, a smaller six seat Cessna, was taxiing at the end of the runway when Larry Layton was on this six seat Cessna posing as a defector. He opened fire on the people inside the plane. Almost simultaneously, several People's Temple members, we now know were members of Jim's elite Praetorian Guard, he called the Red Brigade, brandishing assault rifles, described by witnesses as glassy-eyed, mechanically walking zombies, devoid of any emotion, had followed the group from Jonestown on a tractor-drawn trailer and opened fire on the transport plane, killing Congressman Leo Ryan, three journalists, and a defecting Temple member, while wounding nine others. A congressional aide would later describe them to the Associated Press, and this was Jackie Spire, I believe. She would describe them as 120 brainwashed assassins out from Jonestown awaiting the trigger word to pick up their hit. <laughs> Jim Jones called the residents to the main pavilion shortly after Leo Ryan had left to begin recording the final White Knight Jonestown death tape, but not until, like I said, and you can hear it on the death tape, like they alert him, hey, it's done. Leo Ryan's dead. You know, like, and he just immediately, all right, operation, revolutionary suicide, Right. Like it, it's, it's such a weird 
sequence of events, you know, but yeah, there's something we're missing here. Like, I don't know if there's some effort to, to destroy records or is it because the, the whole, Oh, make sure Dwyer's over here. It's like, who fucking cares? You're all killing yourselves. I, I don't know. Something exactly, else we're, we're missing is, I don't well, know if he had some final things he had to get done before the deed was done. I don't probably know. because yeah. there's, there's more on George Philip Blakey and what he's doing with some other people's temple members at the same time, this massacre is taking place. Mm-hmm. They they have a boat, and and it, like I never knew about this until recently, and and it seems like he took some additional people's temple members, and they just resettled in another, some other location in some remote area. That's what it honestly seems like, and that's what he says to his father in law. But yeah. you know, we'll get into that because I mean, did, was this Dwyer guy ever found? Richard Dwyer, yeah, and they yeah, even questioned okay. him directly and said, like, "Oh, he was alive, like, he, he yeah, survived. Richard Dwyer, oh yeah, oh, he made it out, okay. he's fine, all right. man, yeah, yeah, okay, all right, yeah." <laughs> so they uh, they all bounce. I have a feeling that if I had to surmise, Jim Jones may or may not have been, uh, you know, part of the original plan of being murdered, yep. at least in his head. Exactly. So yeah, yep. so oh 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 okay, yeah, Jim, they're all gonna kill each other. Pop. <laughs> I know, right? Exactly. And and that's where you have all these theories that they had Jim like because there were like some like unreleased uh recordings that seemed to um that and it was of allegedly of Jim. And it was him talking about news reports that happened after the massacre. And so a lot of people were saying like how is this possible? What did they have him? Did they keep him alive? Have him record these these news reports and then take him out? And, and you know what I mean? It was, it was so, so weird, though, because there's like mm-hmm. even reports of theories of body doubles because of his tattoos that weren't there on the body when it was found. And then um, we know is it, it clearly wasn't a suicide as far as his his body is concerned because it was it was definitely moved and the suicide weapon was like 200 yards from the body i mean it's kind of ridiculous and and i forget there's like this crazy um uh he had some crazy drugs in his system i'm trying to remember what it was. i haven't noted down here at some point but um but so anyway but when all this is happening though like keep in mind that this is when <laughs> before any of this goes public this is when threatening phone calls, uh, you know, go through to William Holsinger. All right. And and apparently before the news became public, wife of Ryan's aide, William Holsinger, received three threatening phone calls. The caller allegedly said, tell your husband that his meal ticket just had his brains blown out and he better be careful. <laughs> That's pretty straightforward as far as I was concerned. When I heard that. And when you listen to William Holsinger, Mm -hmm. this guy, man, I understand that Leo Ryan was his personal friend. I understand that he is directly emotionally involved with this, but he seems so credible. He seems like just Mm -hmm. he does not seem like he's trying to make connections where they aren't there. Right. Like, I mean, he's the one matter of fact. Yeah. A hundred percent, man. And um, so Leo Ryan's. His so William Holsinger, he he said that he feared that the CIA might have been running a covert operation. I said this, I think, once before. So sinister it would shock even hardened CIA watchdogs. In 1980, 
Holsinger, who'd already discovered Dwyer's presence at Jonestown, received a paper from a professor at UC Berkeley called The Penal Colony. And this paper detailed how the CIA's mind control program, codenamed MKUltra, was not stopped in 1973, as the CIA had told Congress. Instead, the paper reported it had merely been transferred out of public hospitals and prisons into the more secure confines of religious cults. And Holsinger says Jonestown, he believed, was one of those religious cults. And there were, I mean, there were enough, uh, there were such large amounts of psychoactive mind control drugs at, at that site, like we said before, you know, that, I mean, and Larry Layton, the Jones lieutenant who became the only person charged in any of the killings, by the way, was also a key member of the airstrip hit team and somehow survived the Jonestown massacre, by the way. He was later described as sinking in, sinking into a, a, a post-hypnotic trance as he sunk ever deeper under Jones' spell. Layton's own father called him a robot. Layton's brother-in-law, George Philip Blakey, the man who arranged the lease on Jonestown with the Guyanese government on Jones' behalf, was reportedly a mercenary for the CIA-backed UNITA rebels in Angola. The site of Jonestown itself, and I think we covered this too, I mentioned it was, it was potentially a training ground for Angolan rebels uh, during the Angolan Civil War. And Larry Layton's father, according to Holsinger, was the biochemist in charge of the United States Army's chemical warfare program at its Dugway Proving Ground in Utah. <laughs> this is, and this is when I found this, this Langley Porter Neuropsychiatric Institute of San Francisco, which was the location where Jim Jones had brought many people's temple members for a rehabilitation program. This facility also happened to be used by DARPA and the CIA as a programming site for Project MKUltra. Yep. And so William Holsinger gave this statement about the psychosocial implications of the Jonestown phenomenon. And it was on May 23rd, 1980. And he was in, it was when he was invited to participate. I believe it was a forum on on like that's what they called it, the psychosocial implications of the Jonestown phenomena. It was like largely an African-American political forum, I think, honestly, because Jonestown was so largely African-American, you know, as far as the representation of the People's Temple members. And at this um, forum, he provided this elaborate statement describing his overall perspective on what really may have happened in the remote jungles of Guyana. <laughs> and during his speech, Holsinger explains, as the administrative assistant to Congressman Leo Ryan, I participated in the investigation of charges against Jim Jones and the People's Temple from November 1977 until Mr. Ryan's trip to Guyana in November 1978. The investigation made us aware of the seriousness of the allegations by members of the concerned relatives and by Deborah Layton Blakey, an important Jones aide who fled Guyana in May 1978. But Leo and I never anticipated the irrational violence that occurred at Port Cayuma in Jonestown. The phrase irrational violence is used in the context of the now accepted mythology of Jonestown, which includes phrases such as suicide cult, mass suicide, charismatic leader, jungle horror, and escape by death. As of today, some 18 months and five days after the event, I'm prepared to question that mythology. My supporting data, 
with 15 copies of three separate documents to leave with you include the following. One, my statement of February 20th, 1980 to the International Operations Subcommittee of the House of Representatives International Relations Committee. Letter to me dated March 28, 1980 from John Spagnola, Legislative Director of uh, APRL, the Alliance for the Preservation of Religious Liberty, with a report of March 31st, 1980, entitled Unanswered Questions Involving Jonestown and the CIA. And he also get, gave and left them the penal colony, that article that I mentioned, that was sent to him on March 6th, 1980, by a Berkeley psychologist who, was asked, who asked him that his name be withheld. And that article was written in January 1979, less than two months after the Jonestown tragedy. Now, Holsinger says, going back to November 1978, I accepted most of the news, the news stories from Guyana as factual. At the time of their occurrence, I was bitter about some State Department stories, which I knew to be false, but attributed them to incompetence or bureaucratic cover-up. In my naivete, I remained silent about a phone call I received from the White House a few hours after the murders at the Port Cayuma airstrip. The caller asked me for the names of the news media men who had been killed. In response to my question on the accuracy of the report, the caller said, Joe, we have a CIA report from the scene. I assumed at that time that we had an intelligence gathering operation in Guyana, but not a covert operation. And I remained mute about the CIA presence at the airstrip. One year later, in December 1979, I began to realize that our government had constructed and passed along a carefully fabricated version of Jonestown to the news media. That version has come to be accepted as fact by the American people. The December 1979 catalyst for me was a front page story in the San Mateo Times. CIA agent witnessed Jonestown mass suicide. That story tabbed Richard Dwyer, our deputy chief of mission in Guyana, as a CIA agent, and claimed that he had gone back into Jonestown after Leo's murder. Tape recordings made while 900 Americans were dying contained Jim Jones shouted words over and over, get Dwyer out of here. The news story also raises a question as to who shot Jim Jones and why. The significance of Dwyer's CIA role and his return to Jonestown after the shooting at Port Cayuma is that it proved the existence of a covert CIA operation in Guyana that have not been reported to the appropriate oversight committees of Congress as required by the Hughes-Ryan Act of 1974. It also raises the likelihood that the co-author of that act, Leo Ryan, had been led into or allowed to fall into a death trap Fuck, dude. I mean, my God. And that's why you have all these theories that he was lured down there. You mm -hmm. know, it's just crazy because everything that he was exposing at the time, the 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 Hughes Ryan Amendment, like we've been mentioning, is perfect. It just fits perfect. He says, my statement of February 20th in Washington detailed my belief that the CIA was ineffective control of our State Department embassy in Guyana and that it conducted a covert operation there designed to protect our commercial interests and to maintain the government of Prime Minister Forbes Burnham in power. The CIA links to Jim Jones appeared to me 
to be part of that design. Upon my return from Washington, I began to receive a communications containing new information on Jonestown, information that suggested a horrifying possibility as to the true nature of the Jonestown phenomenon, as you call it here today. That possibility is that Jonestown was a mass mind control experiment by the CIA as part of its MKUltra program. MKUltra was organized by the CIA in 1953 to search for control of the human mind, not only of individuals, but of groups and whole populations. You may recall its LSD experiments. MKUltra programs were conducted in Virginia and state hospital, or VA and state hospitals, sorry, and in federal and state penitentiaries under the guise of rehabilitation. Organized pressure and legal action by civil liberties groups finally forced then-CIA Director Richard Helms to tell a Senate committee in 1974 that MKUltra was terminated and that the CIA had lost interest in mind control. <laughs> you remember, wasn't it William Colby? I always get him and William Casey mixed up because they're so similar in their names, but... Uh, I think it was Colby that was the one during the church committee hearings that was revealing all the what what they were allowed to reveal type of of circumstance as far as it seems. Oh, probably Colby because he was what I think it was Colby. Head of the, yeah, because I don't remember who Casey is, but I know Colby was what a prior head of the CIA. I think. I think of two the, of them. I think both yeah. of them were honestly, but I'm trying okay. to remember because one of them is that quote that I have pinned on the top of my Twitter page. Well, it was Colby and then the FBI. Other... Maybe he was Casey. I can't I don't remember. It's <laughs> one of the two that, that was a part of the disclosures in the church committee uh, hearings. And and that was when it was revealed they had like the heart attack gun and that um, uh, wasn't it like a, I can't remember what they called it. But anyway, there were just all these crazy different like advanced uh, like spy technology, James Bond shit. You know what I mean? It was just crazy. Right. And uh, so. I just thought, um, you know, like the timing is ridiculous. You know Colby what I'm saying? CIA. So, so it might have been Colby, but it might have been Casey. But either way. But, it was probably Colby. I, I don't remember. Yeah. But anyway, but, it is just ridiculous to me, you mm -hmm. know. But yeah. anyway, it's just the same story. But so then CIA director Richard Helms, right? Mm -hmm. Um that was <laughs> that was the one who told them that in 74 the mk ultra was terminated which is hilarious yeah. but <clears throat> the berkeley author of that article the penal colony um they told william holsinger and this is a more detailed version of what i was saying that basically what he was sent by this uh this berkeley author and professor um they said that they believe that rather than terminating MKUltra, the CIA shifted its programs from public institutions to private cult groups, including People's Temple. And the same theory was arrived at independently in Washington, D.C., by the Alliance for the Preservation of Religious Liberty. And their report discussed the massive quantities of mind control drugs found in Jonestown. It mentions the daily medical checkups for everyone. It also documents some very important points like uh, detailing Richard Dwyer's status as CIA agent uh, since 1959. And Dwyer came to Guyana from Thailand in May 1978. And it they, help, they have like multiple attachments. And uh, an additional attachment was 
claims that the Chicago Defender is the source for information in a top Jones aide, George Philip Blakey, served as a mercenary and mercenary recruiter for the CIA-backed United Forces in Angola in 1975. Blakey, a British citizen, is the same man who arranged the lease and the money for the lease for the Jonestown settlement area with the government of Guyana in 1974. Yep. Blakey... It doesn't it doesn't stop there. <laughs> it's this one's so crazy. Blakey is the husband of Deborah Layton Blakey, who fled Guyana in May 1978 after Dwyer arrived. He is the brother-in-law of Larry Layton, the def the the fake defector who who posed as a defector and got on the yes and actually started the shooting first. So Blakey is the husband of Deborah Layton Blakey, who fled Guyana in May 78 after Dwyer arrived, which, by the way, that is almost exactly when Leo Ryan decides, I'm, I got to go down there. I just and, and it's because of the affidavit by Deborah Layton Blakey, mm -hmm. which I just thought, OK, the wife of the CIA guy who leased the property in, for Jonestown. What? And yeah. then, and she's also the sister of Larry Layton, who was the fake defector who got on the, the bus and, and committed the first shot. That's pretty yeah. nuts. And it gets yeah. even worse than that because apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, Larry Layton, remember, he's so uh, this George Philip Blakey is the brother in law of Larry Layton. And Larry Layton was, like I said, the only one who had been charged with complicity in the murders at Port Kiuma. And at this point, was currently on trial in Guyana for the attempted murder of Vernon Gosney, but he, he got off on that. And it turns out, by the way, he was first, he was acquitted. Right. And then he was put back. Like there was a retrial in 91 and he, what he was inevitably um, charged and did do some time after the 91, but the charges were, uh, were, basically that he was involved in, t in the conspiracy with Jim Jones to kill Congressman Leo Ryan and the people at Port Kiuma Airstrip. But in 80, I think it was 81. I'm trying to remember when the original uh, court hearing was for Larry Layton. But I remember that Larry Layton was initially acquitted and the jury agreed with the defense contention that Layton was brainwashed and drugged at the time of the shootings and cannot be held criminally responsible. Mm -hmm. And in 2001, he was, Larry Layton <laughs> was inevitably released after a parole board hearing where they agreed with exactly that statement I just made. Yeah. So Larry Layton is a free man. <laughs> yeah. And it's they thing, say it's that plausible. He... It's plausible though, because I mean, I know there are probably characters who maintain differing levels of free will throughout this, but right. or however you want to no, define yeah, that. No, but it's that, like, because yeah. I mean, look at the Dwyer guy. But at the same time, it's it's a mix. It could be a mixture of both. Like anyone's read Program to Kill. That's kind of like right. the idea is like that. Exactly. There are these MK Ultra people out there that end up being you know operatives of some sort, and mm -hmm. you know. So it's like, who's to say that that wouldn't also be some of these top brass of the CIA that. Or whatever. Exactly. I mean, I, I don't know the backstory of these individuals, and I guess maybe we might get into some of those in the next episode. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if you have any other finishing thoughts uh, on, on Holzern or that you wanted to bring up uh, in his <laughs> statements or 
uh, before we wrap. But, I am, yeah, um, actually, I'm almost done with Holsinger. Yeah, we okay. might as well yeah, finish fine. with him. Cool. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, Blakey, right? George Philip Blakey, son-in-law of Dr. Lawrence Late. So, Dr. Lawrence Layton, who was the former chief of biochemistry and director of chemical warfare at the U.S. Army Dugway Proving Ground in Utah in the early 1950s. And more recently, Dr. Layton has worked as a research scientist at the Western Regional Research Laboratory for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Berkeley, California. And by the way, <laughs> apparently at the hour of the massacre, key members of the temple's armed guard were ordered to be on board the temple ship they had named Kudjo, I think is how you pronounce it, for an alleged supply run. This is when George Philip Blakey, CIA agent, who had previously worked for Unitas in Angola, phoned his father-in-law, Dr. Lawrence Layton, from Panama to inform him of what had transpired just after the massacre. <laughs> At least 10 members of the temple remained on the boat and set up a new community in Trinidad, while Nigel Slinger, a Granada businessman and insurance broker for Jonestown, repaired the 400-ton shipping vessel. Then Charles Touchett, Touche, I, I don't know how, do you, how you pronounce this guy's last name, but Paul McCann, Stephen Jones, and George Blakey set up an open house in Granada with, with the other members. <laughs> McCann spoke about starting a shipping company to finance the, the continued work of the original temple. That work may have included the mysterious operations of the mental hospital in Granada that eluded government security by promising free medical care. <laughs> it sounds so much like hate Ashbury to me. Like, it makes me think of uh, all like the Mina Arkansas stuff with all the Fed, yep. uh, the Fed moving around money, but they're using. It sounds like they're setting up the infrastructure just to do it by sea instead. And like, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, a part of which the same. that ties into Gladio, since that was exactly like. Exactly. I mean, nice. this ties into it too. If you, I mean, like this, this literally to me, if I had to guess, it sounds like a mix between MK Ultra, Gladio, and like Epstein type stuff. Because it's like I yeah. do think there was honey. I mean, we there were honeypot type stuff going on. Yeah. At the very least, we have one case but i just find it that would be such an easy with all the elite uh, clientele he had and the subservient population it had to be like I, i'd be surprised if they weren't doing some crazy frazzle drip stuff or something you know exactly in there. So, like, exactly yeah and uh to finish out the whole singer real quick um so the chief medical examiner in guyana that we'll get to at some point his name was dr leslie mutu and he reported that more than 700 of those whose bodies were found in Jonestown were not suicide victims, but were murdered. And I'll get into that in detail with the body count. But um, and this is what Holsinger says to finish his statement to this forum. I believe that it is possible that Jonestown may have been a mind control experiment, that Leo Ryan's congressional visit pierced that veil and would have resulted in its exposure and that our government or its agent, the CIA, deemed it necessary to wipe out over 900 American citizens to protect the secrecy of the operation. I am also troubled by the general public impression left over from Jonestown, which is that of a large group of disturbed and foolish black people who turned their backs on this country and then killed themselves. So good riddance. <laughs> That's what he says. He's just like, That's the narrative, right? Yeah. And something is very wrong with that racist impression. 
he says. Mm -hmm. For one thing, we know that most of the people's temple leadership was white. In conclusion, I would like to quote a passage from Mark Lane's book, The Strongest Poison. Mark Lane survived Jonestown, by the way. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I despise Lane, says William Holsinger, and know personally that at least some of the statements in this book are not true. But this one paragraph at the conclusion of chapter five on Jim Jones seemed odd on first reading and has kept coming back to me. It reads, one of his closest aides who survived the end of the People's Temple said, when under the influence of drugs in Jonestown, he, Jones, claimed that he was a true, loyal, and patriotic American, and that it was a terrible shame that he was obligated to remain in Guyana. He said people would never know what a true patriot he was. He said that socialism could never work. That man is not perfectible. He read and quoted from two books which asserted that socialism could not work. Those books were his Bible. That's what Holsinger says. And then he, he finishes by saying, In my personal search for the truth about the murder of my best friend, Leo Ryan, I have found it to be very difficult to determine the dividing line between legitimate suspicion and paranoia. It would be much easier and certainly more socially acceptable to end my efforts. But each time that I falter in my resolve, something happens to get me going again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I felt that man's pain though. Honestly, I was just like, man, he loved Leo Ryan. Like that was yeah. his best friend. Like that made me feel something, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. that's a special thing that we need people like that, that, yeah. you know, don't give up on the, uh, the trail yeah. of facts down the rabbit hole that <laughs> excruciatingly paint a, a, a different narrative that always yeah. undermines the official one. Right. So. Yeah. And I'm of the opinion in situations like this too, because he obviously was getting a, uh, threatened and stuff you're actually better off being loud uh, that's been my yeah, my I opinion so. and i think uh, you know because when you do get loud it if anything it creates a shield about you so uh exactly. yeah de definitely that, that i think people yeah that, i mean obviously if you're in a situation like that that's your call to make you know i don't know all the factors for every individual person if you have some weird craziness like this but generally <laughs> speaking be loud i would say and uh because yeah when you if you if you shut up and people think you know something uh, you know, you, and you haven't made that known to other people. Well, you're an easy problem to fix. So exactly. yeah. But, uh, with that man, uh, we're at a good time. You want to let people know where they can find you. Once again, I highly recommend your stuff. It's basically like this series that we're doing right here was like <laughs> a 45 minute, like, I think it was like a 40 minute thing for, on your show. And it was like, boom, 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 boom. Like through most of these facts. So if you, for, so for me, I love that kind of stuff. If you guys do too, I would suggest it, you know, checking it out usually tackles a specific topic, uh, tackles it in less than an hour i think the only one you really didn't was oklahoma city which to be fair that's a fucking hard ass to do i think you did like two episodes on it and even then you were like tackling different components of it because right. that is such a fucking rabbit hole but yeah if that's mm -hmm. what you're wanting you want to just quick rundown with a lot of great facts on whatever given topic you have a shitload of them uh you know go check them out uh but yeah let people know where they can find you at man thanks brother um so yep uh, the podcast, it's basically on all audio streaming platforms. It's called The Underclass Podcast. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at the uh, at Underclass Pod, on Instagram at The Underclass Podcast. 
Thanks, Jose. Appreciate you. Awesome, man. Always a pleasure having you. We definitely got one more of these. uh, So, you know, stick around, guys. This wasn't another seems like we uh, wrapped up in a bow, but wait, there's more. Uh, (laughs) So definitely, definitely, you know, be here for the next one. And with that, if you guys want to follow me, it's at Tower Gang Jose on Twitter. Uh, you know, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. Like I said at the top, we're on YouTube. We're on all the major odd packages. We're on Rumble. Highly recommend Rumble if you prefer a video component as opposed to YouTube. I have, I've been more and more often been going straight to Rumble for certain episodes. Uh, this episode, who knows, might get uh, get knocked. Oh, also keep an eye out on TopLobza.com. Uh, those Yigi shirts, I think, should be coming back here soon. Uh, TopLobza would be a silly goose if he didn't, considering I'm about to go on a... Uh, about to talk about that soon, but I'm pretty sure he's bringing that back. So keep an eye out for that. Also, uh, Top's been looking for like ideas uh, for different stuff. So I was thinking maybe for the audience out there, throw me some ideas if you have something. I was thinking uh, maybe one for the Jim Jones series, some sort of Jim Jones merch. Uh, you know, I know if you guys see my like little yellow and white background on, on my thumbnails for my podcast, fear maybe implement that and then like Jim Jones. I don't know. Just give me some ideas. If you have any ideas, let me know. Uh, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll make that a shirt, uh, and you guys can get that top Uh, but with that, we are out of here. Appreciate you being here, bud.